Watermark Golf Media. Okay, everyone, settle down. Let's try this one more time. This is the Lip Outs Podcast promo with Matt Janella. Take, is this right? Take 19. Hey, guys, Matt Janella from Golf Channel and Golf Advisor. When I'm not flying around the world playing some of the best courses on the planet with celebrities or athletes or former tour players, and I have 30 to 45 minutes free with absolutely nothing, and I mean absolutely nothing better to do with my time, that's when I listen to the Lip Outs podcast. Well, okay, we'll make that work. In a world where talk is cheap, someone should be paying you to listen to this podcast. It's the Lip Outs Podcast with your host, golf course architect, author, and former looper for the llama, Nathan Crace. And now, from deep within the recesses of the basement beneath the studio at Watermark Golf Media, the man of the hour, the tower of power, too sweet to be sour, make you say, woo, like Jerry Clower. Ladies and gentlemen, Nathan Crace. This is the Lip Outs Podcast. Today we have a very special guest on the podcast. If you watch the Golf Channel at all, you've no doubt seen him on Morning Drive, maybe on location at a major. You've also seen him travel the world in search of great golf, including on his new show for Golf Advisor, Round Trip. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the podcast, Matt Janella. Hey, Matt. Hey, buddy. Good to, be, good to be with you. I know we've been trying to get this lined up for weeks. I appreciate you taking the time to be here. Of course, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm honored to be on, to be honest with you. Uh, before we get started, I want to give Matt a plug. Be sure to follow him on Twitter at MattJanellaGC and on Instagram at Matt underscore Janella, where you can follow his travels around the world and dream wistfully of playing some of the courses he gets to play for a living. So, Matt, are you in Orlando right now getting ready for the holidays? Yeah, oddly enough, I'm home, which, uh, which, which feels amazing. We, we, we did about uh, 207 days on the road this year. Uh, rough estimate. <laughs> wow. And uh, so to be home right now, it's, uh, it feels great. I was actually in New Orleans yesterday at a luncheon with Jim Nance. And you want to talk about somebody who travels a lot. I, he may travel more than you. I, it, it's, uh, it, it'd, be a, it'd be a close race. Yeah. Um, I, I love Jim Nance. He's great for the game of golf, obviously. And I got to play with him a little bit uh, earlier this year, actually. Um, and I was surprised at, at the fact that he is just as nice as you'd expect him to be. Oh, he's unbelievably nice. Uh, we had a, a luncheon there. Of course, he yeah. was in he was in town for the uh, Saints Steelers game coming up Sunday. Also amazed at the amount of homework he puts in. He was leaving the lunch to go spend four hours at the Saints training facility to uh, do show prep. Yeah, doesn't surprise me. So uh, I mean, but anyway, uh, back back to you. So you're in Orlando. You told me about a year ago, the next, or maybe a little longer, the next time I get to Orlando, I need to call you and go play, I believe it was Winter Park. That's the nine-hole municipal that they renovated a year or so ago? Yeah. Um, you know, the, it's it's just, I'm continuing to be reminded of what an amazing story this is. Um, a little, you know, mini municipal, par 35, uh, but but you know a couple drivable par fours uh, reachable par fives three par threes uh you cross the street six times runs kind of sort of spines its way through the middle of the town of winter park and um it's over 100 years old it's kind of had a, a lot of different lives and a lot of little moments of its history but uh right down the street from rollins college where pete and alice die actually met um, Pete says he's never played it. Alice said she only played it once, uh, in college, but now it's had this, this revitalized life. Uh, thanks to Keith Reb and Riley Johns, Blake Conant was on, on their crew. Uh, these are, you know, this, this pack of young architects who, you know, are descendants of, you know, all the way up from die to core and, and Doak and, and, uh, and Crenshaw and, and uh, even some time with the Gil, Han so you get the 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 lineage of the 
the best of the modern minimalist minimalist uh, at work here at WP9. They took a golf course that was losing two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year, and it's going to do way better than break even uh, this year. Um, and you know, upwards of upwards of about making a hundred thousand dollars. But more important than that, you've got generational golf happening on a daily basis. Uh, you know, from you know, every time you uh, I drive by, it's it sort of warms your heart. If you love golf at all, if you love community and camaraderie and families and and fathers, sons, mothers, daughters, and every other combination you could imagine. It's all happening at WP9 every day. <laughs> and, and um, you know, they cleaned up the golf course. They removed some trees. They, they, they got rid of the thatched grass that wasn't allowing, you know, uh, any kind of healthy growth or drainage. They redid the drainage. They create contours to the fairways and, and leading up to the greens. They redid all the bunkers and positioned them in a way that makes sense. Um, it's just one of the most charming you know, hour, uh, 90 minutes you're ever going to spend on a golf course. And, you know, I happen to live a block and a half away, which I feel <laughs> truly blessed. Right. If there's there's one great benefit of being here and being near Orlando and at the Golf Channel, it's that I get to play WP9 on a regular basis. Well, and I, I think the other thing about, as you mentioned, the generational aspect of it, more courses like that help to bring more juniors into the game and allow some of the older players maybe to play a little longer than they thought they could and when you don't have to climb in and out of a bunker every time. And it's not as challenging. It's not as daunting maybe to the beginner. No, I mean, it's and, and you know, what's great about WP9 is even on weekends, you know, in peak season, you're going to pay $18 to play to play golf. And juniors are, you know, basically nothing kids essentially pay, play for free uh you know i've got a 19 month old son he's gonna you know he's learning to play golf at the wp9 they're just showing up at the end of my rounds or we go to the third green and chip and putt while you know move aside while play is going through um it's it's revitalized sort of and brought me back to my childhood days of of taking on the game and, and, uh, it's just, you know, and I've see it happening with a lot of people that I play with or watch play the WP nine. Uh, you hit every club in your bag. Um, it feels a lot like golf. You know, it, it's a little bit like three on three basketball. I could play three on three basketball for the rest of my life. You know, half court, three on three basketball WP nine is sort of a, a pleasant and charming variation of what we consider a, you know, a classic 18 hole, you know, par 72, you know, 6,500 yard experience. And, uh, it's just condensed into sort of this perfect little package of, of joy. <laughs> Sounds like fun. I, the next time I get down there, I have to call you up to go to try. I've been trying to get down there anyway, to go play shingle Creek with uh, Thad Layton from Arnold Palmer golf design. Yeah. Another Mississippi state graduate, by the way, if, <laughs> nice. if, if I was going to the uh, bowl game to watch the bulldogs beat up on Iowa, we might could work that out, but I'm, I'm not going to be able to get down there this year, but it does. I really well, do. Thad, think, uh, not to interrupt, no, not ahead. to interrupt you, but Thad Layton just played in the WP nine skins game. Uh, last, uh, uh, last Monday, Thad, you know, as you say, of Arnold Palmer Design, uh, I'm here living in Orlando because Arnold Palmer started the Golf Channel in Orlando. Right. Keith Reb, you know, redoes the WB9, played with Thad in the Monday Skins game. So the connection of all the different parts and pieces and Palmer and Orlando and Winter Park 9 and Reb and Thad all, all happened last Monday, which is, again, the, another version of golf linking souls. It never ceases to amaze me when you start talking to other golfers how small the world really is, and how many people yeah. know other people and play with other people. And, and I'm assuming Thad cleaned up. He's a pretty good player, uh, cleaned up <laughs> in his skins game. But um, No skins for Thad. No skins oh. for Thad. But I, I suspect he'll be back. I'll have to text him about that. Well, anyway, I, I mentioned at the opening, obviously, you seem to be on the Golf Channel every time you turn it on. I mean, you, you do seem ubiquitous on the Golf Channel. Every, every time I turn it on, you're you're on morning drive or you're somewhere or on the news show, but it really is your dream job. I know I've heard you say that before, but I thought you might want to elaborate on it. Well, I, you know, I, as you can imagine, I've just finished six years now at the golf channel, which is, you know, it feels like I just blinked. Yeah, and it's, um, yeah. And, um, you know, I was 11 years at, at golf digest and six years, a little over six years at sports illustrator prior to that. And, you know, print, 
uh, being what print is and uh, and six years ago trying to figure out, OK, what is my next move? What are my other you know, opportunities and possibilities? Molly Solomon, who's you know, the, the executive producer of, of Golf Channel, uh, I had worked with her husband, Jeff Russell, and I, you know, at Golf World, uh, I was both the director of photography and doing some travel pieces for Golf World magazine as well. And they had both, Molly and Jeff had both come down to run the Golf Channel. I get the call saying, would you, you know, would you like to be our lifestyle representative uh, for morning drive in this ensemble cast we're putting together. And that to me was, you know, yet another one of those sliding door moments. You know, if, if it never happens, if that phone call never comes, you know, where, where am I now? I don't know. But, uh, what, what the golf channel has done is just given me an opportunity to continue to tell stories, uh, to, you know, use this platform to try to, enhance the game of golf you know we try to leave a course better than than what we we played right every time fix a couple divots or ball marks or you know kind of just look around you leave the course a little better than you found it i'm hoping to leave the game a little bit better than than i came to it and that you know this is what a what an opportunity and platform to try to try to accomplish that um if there's any story i want to tell if there's any um if there's any story I stumble upon that feels like, wow, this is, this, this needs to get to the masses. I, I have that opportunity now. Uh, and, um, uh, I just can't say enough about, yes, this is a dream job. Um, and I do get to see the world and I get to play some of the greatest golf courses, you know, known to mankind, but the thing that I'm going to take away with me is so much more than just, oh, wow, I got to play the 16th at Cyprus or, you know, uh, the 13th at Pacific Dunes or whatever the case may be. I, I get to say that I met all these amazing people all around the world with all these different other stories and interests and passions and tap into that as we go around and consume the game of golf. And that to me means more than anything. Well, we could do two or three hours worth of podcast just on uh, you and Arnold Palmer, I'm sure, and, and you, <laughs> what you've been able to learn and, and take from him since you've been there. But in fact, yesterday I asked people to tweet questions to me to ask you during the podcast, and we'll get to those a little later on. Uh, but okay. before we get to those, I do want to get a little more into your background, where you grew up, what life was like for a young Matt Janella when you first discovered the game and, and that type of thing. First round of golf, I I played, I can, I can, I can remember it like it was, it was yesterday. Al Cohen, the father of my buddy who lived around the corner from me in Northern California, Santa Rosa, California. Um, I, uh, Matt Cohen, you know, Matt Cohen was a young, a successful junior golfer in Santa Rosa, California, had a ton of talent, sort of took to the game when not a lot of other people were. Uh, and he, he and his dad, Al, would go out to the Sonoma County fairgrounds and play the little, you know, little short course that ran on the infield of the, of the horse track there at Sonoma County fairgrounds, still there to this day. And I'll never forget. I went, they said, Hey, you know, do you want to go play golf? I called my mom. Can I go play golf? Yeah, go play golf. And I, you know, I remember Al Cohen allowing me as probably a, you know, I don't know, nine year old, 10 year old kid to tee it up wherever I wanted to. So it, knowing it made it a little easier for me to make contact, get the ball airborne, have fun. I was, I remember going around playing my first round of golf, teeing up the ball wherever I wanted and thought that was so cool. Cause that allowed me to have some sense of success. And that was the moment where I said, wow, golf is Golf is fun and golf is cool. Um, I, I didn't. I, I played every sport growing up in Santa Rosa, California: baseball, football, basketball, soccer. I rode horses, and that ultimately became my my focus. Was three day eventing. I had five horses. We competed everywhere from Arizona to Oregon. Um, it was pretty intense. We would we would ride and train before school, after school. Um, so I was horseback rider, and then. The, the day of my biggest horse match uh, in Fresno, California at Ramtap, my horse colicked, wasn't able to compete. And, and I was trying senior year in high school trying to figure out, do I, you know, keep riding horses or do I go to college? And on that day, I decided horses were done. That was a sign. I had trained for six months for this event. It was all gone away. And my dad said, hey, let's go play golf. And we went out to a little, you know, municipal in Fresno, California. And, um, 
And it was that day that I kind of decided I'm going to take all of the energy and effort I've been putting into horseback riding and I'm going to put it into golf. And I went out for the high school golf team that year at Cardinal Newman High School in Santa Rosa and made the team. They didn't have they had four or five really good players, but they needed some they needed some bodies on the back end. I happened to be one of the bodies and uh, went on to play at St. Mary's College because they didn't have a good team. The four years I was at St. Mary's College in Northern California, it was pre, you know, I'd graduated in 95. Tiger turns pro in 96. So it was, it was, um, I worked at golf courses my whole life, Oakmont Golf Course in Santa Rosa, California, Fountain Grove Golf Course in Santa Rosa. I ran tee sheets, picked the range, changed grips. You know, Charles Schultz was a member at the Oakmont Golf Course in Santa Rosa. I, I got to, you know, Tom, I got to play golf with Tommy Smothers in, in Santa Rosa. So I, I had fallen in love with the game and, um, and from every aspect. And I thought for sure I was going to be a superintendent. Before I got my internship at Sports Illustrated, I was taking paperwork to be in, uh, you know, to go to Penn state's, uh, agronomy school. Yeah. And when sports illustrated offered me the full-time job, I, that was another sliding doors moment. I went sports illustrated and journalism and sort of shelved the, the agronomy, you know, superintendent route. And, um, so here I am today getting paid to, to play the game of golf and using my backyard as my, my, as my, my, my golf course, uh, you know, Right, growing grass and planting planting plants. Well, you know, it almost seems like sometimes the stars seem to line up, and and we've already established that you probably have one of the best jobs in the world, um, which you freely admit to, and I know all the golfers out there probably believe it as well. But I did see in a, an interview, and I can't remember where it was. You mentioned that you feel like you've never really worked a day in your life, but you know, I think that might be selling yourself short because all the travel and everything, and and how you got to that point. Why, why is it? Does it just not feel like a job because it's so much fun? Yeah. Well, yeah, that's, that's just it is, I, you know, I, yeah, I mean, I, there are a lot of long, long days, you know, anytime we do a, a golf advisor round trip and we're out shooting, you know, it's, you know, sport clothing changes, it's, you know, sunrise to, to sunset and sometimes beyond, uh, it's, you know, w- you know, we just got back from three weeks shooting in uh, San Diego, in Hawaii, back to the Bahamas and then on to Mexico that, you know, it was, it was an amazing trip, met a lot of amazing people. We did, we did, but we, we got a lot accomplished. We do do a, a lot of work and, and being an intern at sports illustrated, you know, getting to this point, you know, I did everything, whatever they asked me, I worked seven days a week. Um, and you know, uh, for anything from doing the laundry of the director of photography, because that's what he asked me to do. And if I didn't do it, someone else would. So, uh, to, you know, uh, cleaning out the basement of the time life building full of, you know, you know, uh, light packs. And, you know, I, I, I used to light gymnasiums for photographers and carry power packs into the corners of, of basketball gymnasiums when I was at sports illustrated, which that was, that, you know, that's, that's real work, but, but I loved every minute of it. I wouldn't have traded it for anything. I, I thought at that time, this was the coolest thing I, you know, been on the floor for NBA All-Star games at Madison Square Garden where Michael Jordan and you know Kobe Bryant were going at it. You know, and, and I was, you know, changing, you know, cameras for John Beaver, one of the greatest sports photographers of all time, uh, at San Francisco 49er games when I was in college in, you know, muck and mud and getting 75 bucks and, you know, just hauling around a 40-pound camera trying to keep up with Beaver. All those things led to this these these amazing opportunities that I have now. And and I do honestly actually believe I haven't truly worked a day in my life because even on the most grueling days of quote work that I've had getting to wherever it is I am now, it never felt like where I've, I've, I've had the benefit of never, ever looking at my watch and thinking, is it time to go home? Can I get to, I only have an hour of work and then I get to go home. I have never looked at my watch in my whole professional career of 23 years of of sort of, you know, getting paid to follow sports. And that was always the goal. I know for people out there who, you know, when you say, well, we, we 
spent two weeks shooting in San Diego and Hawaii and the Bahamas. And, you know, there are a lot of people, oh, it must be nice. But I like that you talked about the background and, and what it took to get you there, because obviously you weren't just plucked off the street somewhere and hauled off to host a golf show around the world. And, and I, I feel the same way to some extent about my job. And I feel like I'm the luckiest guy on the face of the planet to get to do what I love for a living. But again, it's all the steps that you take there from high school and college and working your way up to get to that point, whether you're building a career or you're building an office building or you're building a bridge. I think the people who seize on those opportunities and you have that kind of that internal engine, that grit and that self-discipline to look at the finish line and not worry about where you are right now. I think that's what makes the difference. Yeah. And that, that all, you know, that we're, we're a product of our environment, you know, so I give my parents a lot of credit they never, they never, you know, they made sure that if I ever, you know, had anything or got anything, I appreciated it. Uh, I, you know, I worked, you know, from as early as I can remember because you needed to make money to, to earn things. Um, they worked their asses off to get, to give me what I had and I, and they were going to make sure I did the same. And that's, you know, that to me is now as a new father, uh, I now appreciate all of of how that all happens right so work ethic and integrity and uh, and you know aspirations and goals and uh ch- chasing dreams and doing what you love you know my parents were the biggest fans of hey yeah i don't care what you do if you love it we love it. we love that you love it that's it and you know and and they provided that kind of uh, support and the education uh, you know i was i was in the photography department at sports illustrated and realized in the photo department, I wanted to try to help tell the stories and not just help illustrate the stories. And um, realized that all the writers at Sports Illustrated had gone to Columbia University, applied to Columbia University while I was at Sports Illustrated and got in. And, you know, then I realized I was 29 years old and went back to, to get a master's in journalism at Columbia and worked full time, did Columbia part time, took me two and a half years and got the job at director of photography at Golf Digest while I was at Columbia and had to decide, you know, another yet another sliding doors moment, A, going back to Columbia, B, deciding to stay at Columbia when I got the job at Golf Digest because I wasn't sure I was going to be able to handle the workload of both doing journalism school and director of photography of both Golf Digest and Golf World magazines. Somehow I, you know, I pulled it off. And that master's degree allowed for Jerry Tardy at Golf Digest to give me the job from director of photography to travel writer because I had that expensive piece of paper that said, hey, I can now write instead of just try to help illustrate the stories. And that's when I got the job as travel writer for Golf Digest, which led to where I'm at now, which is sort of travel journalist and travel insider at Golf Channel and Golf and Golf Advisor. So that, you know, I don't know. That, that's how it all goes. It's a great story, really. And in fact, when I was doing some research for this podcast, I was thinking back to the days of Maddie G on Golf Digest. And I don't know um, if, how many people <laughs> are listening remember that, but they had a series, Where is Maddie G? And, and you were you would travel around and go to these different golf courses. And then as things became more digital, I know you were writing um, a, a blog. And, and I found a very interesting story about the Masters from 2009. It, just, it seems like a million years ago when you read it, but it was, wasn't even 10 years ago. When you were at Sports Illustrated, you had to fly the film home from the masters and that just seems again like a million years ago when we think about every, how everything's digital these days but you wrote about having to leave with the film on saturday so you could edit on sunday and monday you had to leave your dad at the masters and this was the year nicholas made his run on sunday and fans were thinking he might pull it off again so i thought you might want to share the story that you told about your dad calling you at the end of the day yeah that i uh, still i do believe i have that message he left me on my work phone uh, that day from a payphone at Augusta National, but it, it was you know as you said in in, in 1999 um, we was pre digital real you know we didn't sports I, I left sports illustrated in 2001 Golf Digest and Golf World went to digital you know digital photography at that time 2001 2002 we started making that transition SI didn't go to it until about 2002 2003 even though the wires were, were, were digital at that time, what, you know, photographers for sports illustrated in 99 still shot rolls and rolls and rolls of film. And we would typically have four or five photographers covering a major championship. So as photo editor, I was trying to help coordinate where they were and what they shot and making sure all the stories were properly illustrated 
getting some some imagery to go with various features and and news events that took place and and then you know you'd have to break away because the the you know at some point you had to be back in the office to go through the film edit the pictures and present uh, what you thought should be the choices to illustrate the the stories or the cover or whatever what may whatever it may be. And um, so I, I would always, for those early years back before credentials were so scrutinized, you know, you'd get photo photography assistant passes, and I would get one for my dad and get one for my uncle, and and you know, I <laughs> you could get people in to right. the masters right. back then, and uh, and um, so I had gotten my dad and my uncle uh, Bill that year, I think, into the masters, and um, and. Uncle Bill went home and my dad was there by himself. I'd gone home with the film and he stayed back to watch that Sunday round and and started following Nicholas and 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 was literally following Jack hole by hole while Jack made that made that run and ended up, you know, atop the leaderboard before sort of the leaders had really had really gone off or at least had gotten to the to the to the back nine. And um, my dad ran to a payphone. He was out of breath. And left me this amazing message, you know, hey, Matto, you know, I just got a call. This has been, I just followed Jack and he's at the top of the leaderboard and I've had the most amazing day, you know, and he was, it was as though, you know, it was a kid <laughs> opening up all his gifts at Christmas and he had, you know, his whole list had been fulfilled. And I'll, you know, I'll take that to, to my grave. He'll probably take it to his grave. That day, that moment, that 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 energy, that passion, that call, and something that I, you know, think of me from Santa Rosa, California, playing at Sonoma County Fairgrounds, going on to being able to get my dad into the Masters and let him watch one of his idols, you know, have a run at Augusta National and then tell me about it was was connecting a lot of pretty cool dots. And running up the hill for anyone who's not been there, running up the hill to the clubhouse <laughs> at Augusta. And I, I walked up the hill uh, on 10 and I had to take a nap when I got to the top. So that's no small feat in its own. But that's a great story. You know, the Matty G days on Golf Digest, that, you know, that was my first uh, recollection of, of hearing your name and what you were doing. But I think with the travel stories and the buddies trips, someone younger doing that at that time, I think it really opened up the world of golf travel to a younger segment of the market. And, you know, we were still kind of riding that tiger wave and everything just seemed to building and building and you think of snowbirds you think of uh, retirees and and older people a little more um seasoned in their years going down south for the winter and playing golf but i think i've seen more and more younger groups of men and women starting to get involved in this are, are you seeing the same thing well yeah you know i think if you go back to 2006 when i really started at digest uh writing these travel stories you know having spent you know, a big portion of my life already going on buddies trips, but not even really realizing or calling them buddies trips. It was my annual trip with my uncle, my annual trip, you know, with, with a few buddies. And then, you know, my first trip to Bandon Dunes, all that happened. And then I get this job in 2006 at Digest and Jerry Tardy says, all right, you're going to have to produce eight pages a month, come up with some ideas and concepts and how you're going to do it. And we came up with the, the away game, which is a three page article on a destination, which is essentially what I'm doing now for golf channel and golf advisor, which is doing that away game, sort of telling the story of a destination, hoping to inspire someone to consider taking a trip there. If, if that suits their, their needs and, and, um, and, and wants and, and and then we came up with this Golf Digest ambush, a one-page article on on buddies trips. You know, I probably got over ten thousand entries for people saying, "Hey, come, come, write a story about our trip." And I did twelve a year, uh, you know, for for five years, probably six years. So uh, you know, and and just parachuting in and immersing myself in the in these these annual trips. And it, in some cases it was ladies, some cases it was couples, and some most cases it was a group of guys. And sometimes in their twenties, and sometimes they were in their seventies, and sometimes it was a mix of all of all of the above. And re, that's when I think we all kind of realize, oh my God, there is there is this untapped kind of source of of or a layer or a culture of the game, you know, known as what we now refer to as a buddies trip. It was always happening. I just don't think 
you know, people realized everyone else was doing it or everyone was doing it to the, to the, the, the degree that everybody was doing it or going to the different places that everybody was going um, or had the traditions that they all had, you know, whether it was a, a funny trophy or a, or a, you know, pay out the guy who finishes dead last. So he gets his money back, you know, any number of things we stumbled upon. Um, and uh, that, that to me has been one of the, one of the, greatest sort of components of of what I've been able to do and why this is not work is because being able to tell stories or sort of unearth this this component or culture of the game known as the buddy strip has um, greatly enhanced I think the way we kind of see and consume the game and realize that hey if I don't if I'm not on a buddy's trip or if I'm not planning one now I need to get on it because these are precious days and moments with people we don't get to see as often as we'd like to. Uh, yes, golf is happening, but it's always sort of a sidebar to the camaraderie right. and the connection, uh, to, to the people we, we love. And, and sometimes you meet new people on these trips that you go on to have great moments and memories with. And, um, it, that, that to me is, is, is definitely a cool component of golf and a, and a byproduct of what I've been able to do as a profession. Ooh, I've got an idea for a new show, as if you didn't have enough to do. Maddie G's Uber service, and you show up in these towns where it's in Myrtle Beach or Scottsdale or Mississippi Gulf Coast where snowbirds go, and you show up in an Uber to take them out to dinner and see if they recognize you, and then you ambush their around <laughs> the next day. Well, yeah. I, have a, I, have a, I have a couple of ideas and show ideas, and, um, and, uh, and I pitch them on a regular basis, as you can imagine. Sometimes... <laughs> Sometimes they fall on deaf ears, and sometimes they they become reality. But um, but I'll I'll keep pitching to say the least. Well, speaking of reality, I've been watching Round Trip. For those of you, if you're not watching it, set your DVR and record it. There they've I don't know about five or six at least episodes that have already aired uh, that you can set that they they do replay. And I think the appeal of any travel show has always been the sense for the view can be somewhere without having to actually go. They can see it on their TV. They don't have to fight the airport or go somewhere you know in this show you've kind of become the virtual tour guide and and i like the twist at the end when you talk about these trips through golf advisor for the viewers to actually visit and go play these same places they just saw on tv and play it with you and see it firsthand just the way you did that's something obviously you don't get on the travel channel well that that that's you know we this time last year we were in we were in meetings and uh and kind of pitching uh the idea of this show and working with golf advisor um and utilizing golf channel as a platform to say okay what would a 30-minute show look like it's it's you know it's essentially an extension of what was janella's journeys for five years that we were doing within within morning drive taking you know six to eight ten minute segments and making them into you know 23 minutes of content a 30-minute show uh package and um you know that it's I've always said this from the beginning. There's three goals to what I'm trying to do in travel. I want to inform the viewer. Uh, I want to inspire the viewer. And if we can, hopefully entertain. And I do that through the eyes and the passions and the energy of celebrities, athletes, locals, whoever, whoever it is. I, you know, I, 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 my producer, Alex, 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 Peggy, who's has been with me all six years. Uh, we work together to try to try to identify the best person or people to try to help tell a course or a resort or a destination's story. And we try to, you know, I think the viewer gravitates or reacts to the, the, the people we interview, their passion and energy for a particular destination. And then, you know, all, all the while I'm kind of, consuming it as well and sometimes we break off and and do some sort of adventurous sort of sidebar or you know something that um that you can do off the golf course we try to also include uh in the spirit of anthony bourdain and all that he did in parts unknown we want to also always try to include some sort of food element because there's no better way of getting a slice of a particular culture and through through food so these are kind of all the ingredients that are going into what we're trying to accomplish um and, uh, it, uh, you know, I've got an amazing crew, as you know, you're only as good as the people you surround yourself with. So Alex and Peggy, Rex Lint, Aaron Mendez has been on a lot, uh, Mike Hagador, and, uh, we got, uh, uh, Palmer, uh, we got, 
uh, uh, Trish Stevens is now part of the part of the team, putting it all together on the back end. Uh, Mike Lowe's the general manager of, of golf advisor. And, and without any of all this, this teamwork and support, uh, you know, there's we got nothing. It's funny because I said I recorded the show and I watched the first two episodes that I watched. I didn't watch them in order. And I can't remember the particular courses, but on both shows, you were there with Reese Jones. And so I thought, well, this is a round trip with Matt Janella and Reese Jones. And, um, and, then, <laughs> and then I obviously realized, because again, I was watching them out of order. Uh, Reese Jones, though, great guy. And, and a little sidebar, I got to play congressional years ago when we had our ASGCA annual meeting in Washington, D.C. And of course, Reese redesigned the golf course for the U.S. Open years ago. And when I got to my cart, to, you know, they had gloves loaded up and I got to the cart and I on the sign it says Reese Jones, Nathan Crace. And I was so nervous. I just went to the driving range and just started hitting balls because I was, I don't even know why I was nervous. I didn't want to embarrass myself, I guess. And we get back to the car and we're driving out to whatever hole we started on. It was a shotgun start. And within five minutes, you'd have thought we'd known each other for 20 years. I mean, just one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. He is, he is, he is a, he's a gentleman. I, I will say that I, you know, Nathan, I, you know, I, I think one of the uh, another one of sort of the, the aspects that's so amazing uh, for me and, and and I'm so appreciative for what I get to do is spending time with all these different architects. And, you know, I, I Reese Jones at Danzante Bay, which is where he was uh, a guest uh, on our first show, and uh, he sort of talked us through the vision there and, and the golf course he created um, in Loreto, Mexico, which is sort of the east coast of the Baja Peninsula. Uh, Sia Cortez, really unbelievable. You know, Owen Perry, the owner of what he's doing there. And Reese Jones and his team did a phenomenal job on that golf course. TPC now Denzante Bay. Everybody who goes and plays it loves it. It's spectacular. It's kind of a, a mix between Bamp Springs and uh, the, the the mountain course at, in, in, uh, at La Quinta. And I'm trying to think of... Uh, other kind of, you know, courses that are sort of at the base are sort of surrounded by these these mountains that are so impressive. But also, you throw in the 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 the, the, the craggly scraggly coastline there of of uh, you know overlooking the Sea of Cortez. So you got this amazing mix of of what's surrounding you, and then you have a very fun, playable golf course that's in perfect condition with a lot of memorable moments and holes and. And uh, so Reese Jones did that. And then I, he was also part of the the uh, the uh, Reynolds Lake Oconee story because he, you know, he was available and he, he had built one of the golf courses there. So um, it just so happens that he was there. And but but he is a sweet guy gets a lot of uh, criticism from a lot of the sort of the hard line modern minimalists. Um, and I don't love every Reese Jones golf course I've played, but I certainly like both of those at both Lake Oconee and and um, and Denzante Bay. And aside from all of that, I, I find him to be uh, very interesting to talk to. And he's got a lot of great insights and he's got a very thick skin, which I really appreciate. He doesn't <laughs> he doesn't it doesn't bother him when people, you know, rip and ridicule some of the work he's done. Um, he, he, he knows that in the, in the big scheme of things, he's proud of the body of the work he's done. And, uh, and I think he should be. No. And, and there's a big world. There are different types of golf courses for different people and everybody has an opinion and, and that's fine. But one thing that I have found is that you can't just rubber stamp every single thing. So you, and I had this, this discussion with Ryan Ballinger on his podcast certain it's almost like the the golf course architecture fan world has split into two sides and i'm like washington dc is where you're either a minimalist or you're not and you, you there is no in between and i don't buy into that i think there's got to be common ground for both sides but the, the zante bay golf course visually is stunning uh just watching that during the show absolutely unbelievable as you mentioned there are some people who just feel like that's artificial as though any golf course isn't artificial. I mean, you've got to move some dirt. You've got to create things to create a golf course. As, or as Pete Dye said, why do you need a golf course architect? So, but um, I, I, uh, no, no, go ahead, go ahead. No, I think I think all of that is true, and it's it is an interesting time um, uh, in terms of the discourse of of architecture. And I think uh, I think all of it is good. I think you know uh, the the hardliners one way and the hardliners the other way from you know Tom Doak to Tom Fazio, um, I think and and everything in between is um, is just is just all 
uh, it's not all good, but I think, I think the conversations around all of it are good. I think the ongoing education, you know, and perspectives and insights from any, from, from anyone, from, uh, from the armchair architects and critics and, and to the guys who are actually in the dirt, um, everybody has a voice now and everybody has access to a phone. Therefore, everybody has a platform. And, um, and a lot of, a lot of, you know, when I started at morning drive, Okay, this is six years ago. I tell this story all the time. When I started Morning Drive, they had me on talking about various things, different my top five lists and various golf courses that are the tour are playing that week, et cetera. And I would, you know, invariably say the name of the architect as to who built the course that there the tours are playing that week or whatever or whatever trip I was on. And I was told by one of the producers of Morning Drive, hey. Uh, no more mentioning the architect's name. It's a little too inside baseball. I think it's kind of over the head of most of our viewers, and so we'd like you to to not to to not do that. Well, of course, that got resolved, and it was you know I went to I, you know I went to fight for for what I thought was hey I'm learning about architecture. I love the ed- ongoing education I'm having. Why don't we let the viewer have that same kind of experience? I'm happy to sort of share what it is that I'm learning and what I'm hearing and what I'm seeing out in this world of, of golf, not just from a, from a, Hey, I pay and I go play and I try to make a score, but how about a little, let's bring the golf course to life by understanding a little bit more as to who did it, why they did it a certain way, who they did it for. And, um, and, and the changes that have been made over the years and that, that was it. And now We've had five years of what they call design week on morning drive. And we have regular architects appearing on the show and features on architects and developments. And we're in the dirt on a regular basis with what's happening in the world of golf. And that to me, you know, I'm, I'm especially proud of, and I, and I, and I'm, I'm happy and grateful that, uh, that morning drive and golf channel and golf advisor have given me that platform the last six years. No, I I think golfers, uh, just anyone, but golfers particularly, they like to know, what's inside and what makes it tick. And I don't know that you can have too much inside baseball in, uh, and I love the architects week that you guys do because it does give a lot of people some insight into things that they would otherwise have no idea what goes into it. And, and as you said, everybody, there are plenty of armchair architects. I'm fortunate to be able to do it for a living, but uh, there are plenty of people who have that uh, thirst to know what goes into it. And, and it's great to be able to provide that to them. Well, the more I always say, the more I learn, the more I want to know. And that, you know, and, and, um, but I do think there, there is a segment of, 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 of this, of these, of this, you know, of the insiders that I think need to be mindful of the fact that, you know, it's not their way or the highway. It's not one way or no way. It's, um, it's, you know, and, and, and you got to be careful to sort of not talk at people, but I think I always try to remember to talk with people. And I, you know, I think that's important. I think, you know, when, when people come to come to this sort of watering hole of architectural knowledge, you can have two very uh, different experiences. You can have one that's like, Hey, wow, come on. Yeah. You want to know? Yeah. I'm happy to share and inform and, and give you my perspective opinion. And then there's another uh, experience in which you can come and basically get run, run out of town. Not unlike what you might find at a local surf spot in, you know, the North Shore of Kauai. And that's that that, you know, uh, surfers want to grow the sport, but they don't want more people surfing their waves. You know, and that's there. There's a fine line there between, oh, yeah, we want more people to know about architecture. Well, then be a little more warm and welcoming to people who want to know it, because if you're going to run them out of town, then you're kind of defeating your whole purpose in the first place. Sure. And social media is a great way to, to do that. Great platform to in, educate people and inform them and kind of give them a little peek inside. And speaking of social media, get to the first question that uh, was sent to me on Twitter. They wanted me to ask you. This is from at Turf Care Craig. How was the experience on Say Yes to the Dress? My wife was watching it one morning. The course they had the wedding at looked very nice. What was it called? I had no idea you guys were even on that show. <laughs> Thankfully, it's flown below the radar amongst my uh, <laughs> followers and viewers. But uh, I no never more. thought I would be on a show called Say Yes to the Dress. I'm, I'm honored to be a part of Morning Drive. And actually, the Say Yes to the Dress experience was pretty cool, C- certainly for my wife. Um she she had watched it for a long time. Uh, she reached out to one of the producers, said, "Here's what we're doing." And 
sure enough, all of a sudden we had a, a production crew of 20 people following us around at Big Cedar Lodge um, as we had kind of done a little mini elopement of 12 of our, you know, of our, of our closest friends, um, and couples and, uh, sort of left, uh, families out of it, uh, because, you know, we, you know what families can do to, to, a, to a wedding. Um, um, and so we, we had, uh, just an amazing time and, uh, and, the, and the, the production, you know, quality and the, the people on the production of say yes to the dress were, were top notch. And it was a, it was a really cool experience. And then it was, what's, what's nice is you have this kind of documented story of your wedding forever you know admittedly i've probably maybe watched it twice i think my wife my wife has watched it 287 times so <laughs> um as you know nathan if, if she's happy i'm happy well that's right that's rule number one and and you know i can't imagine talking about your family without talking about the little boy because i remember not long after he was born you posted uh, a picture on instagram he had this huge, beautiful head of hair. I mean, he was just—he was full of hair. It was awesome. And uh, I mean, he must have needed his first haircut when he was about three weeks old. Yeah, he was born with a full head of hair, which was which was bizarre. But um, he, uh, yeah, we named him Bandon, uh, Bandon um, Janella, Bandon Moke Janella. So my grandfather's name was Moke. My uncle Tony, who I celebrate and got me into the game of golf, really. Uncle Tony, uh, his middle name is Moke. I'm Matthew Moke, and now he's Bandon Moke Janella. Named him Bandon, obviously, after Bandon Dunes. My wife uh, agreed to the name, having not ever gone to Bandon, because she loved what the name meant, which is uh, determined, um, uh, friend of the people, optimistic. Um, and then, uh, so I got the green light to go with Bandon, which was cool. Cause it's such a spiritual spot for me. And I've had so many great memories there with all my uncles and friends and, and, uh, all the buddies trips I've been on there and watching that whole resort, uh, be developed into what I think is the, you know, the, the pure, the best pure golf experience in America. And, um, and, uh, then I, I got to take them to Bandon, both my wife, Katie and baby Bandon to Bandon Dunes, um, last year around this time um and then last summer we went to ireland together and broke off from uh from a trip to waterville and went to bandon golf club uh what i've working on out now is a story about um how bandon became bandon oregon and essentially how bandon my son became bandon by way of bandon dunes and bandon golf club in ireland so there's this really cool connecting of dots that that i've been able to do over the last year and a half or two years since we named abandon and it's it's the story is so much richer and cooler the more i get to know and um so can you imagine bringing bandon to the bandon golf club in ireland we were well received by the the secretary and the club president we got a full tour of the golf course we got the see the band the the castle where lord several lord bandons have have spent time and uh, overlooking the, the fifth fairway. So all cool stuff. I'm assuming he's already got a set of clubs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Several, actually. Three, speaking of family, I have three children. And they've kind of come and gone with golf. They've not really stuck with it. But, you know, it is interesting. Um, I was actually speaking with Pat Jones from Golf Course Industry Magazine. Uh, he was on oh, yeah. one yeah. of our early podcasts a couple of episodes back. And we were talking about this what he sees as a future wave of new golfers coming into the game as more and more mothers pull their sons from football because of all the, the fears of concussion. Uh, do you think that that's, there's any truth to that? Do you see a, a surge coming in like maybe we had back in the late 90s when Tiger first burst onto the scene? Well, um uh... I would, I would like to say, yes, I, you know, I, my experiences, um, and, and what I'm seeing out there, certainly I've been, you know, I remember a couple of years ago going to an event at Poppy Hills and one of the, and Robert Trent Jones Jr. was there, uh, sort of reopening Poppy Hills kind of did a redesign, but at, at, at that meeting in the Northern California golf association, where I'm still a member of the NCGA, where I grew up going to NCGA events here, I was back at the home of the NCGA. And I heard about this, you know, youth on course, uh, 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 you know, an initiative to help grow the game by getting kids access to golf for $5 or less, such so as sort of, um, supplementing, you know, the, the costs for kids to play golf. Mm -hmm. Um, and, I thought, wow, what a cool concept. So this was 
I don't know what that might have been four years ago. Um, and I remember calling into morning drive and saying, hey, I, there's something going on here. Uh, it's already starting to spread. I think they're working on multiple states now, you know, state golf associations in which I think that this is such a cool concept. They basically raise money and pay the courses back to cut, you know, to make up the difference between $5 and whatever they normally charge juniors to play golf. And now I think I want to say they're in 27 different state golf associations, youth on course. They have, you know, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but if you go to youth on course and their website, you get all the, the testimonials and all the, all, all the numbers. I mean, it's, it's a concept that's so great. It's literally sweeping the nation. And, uh, and, uh, so, uh, there's baby Bandit. there's bandit but yeah. um I, it's yeah and then you then i think you've got first tee that's been going on now for over 20 years uh you've got guys like george solich uh and and the solich brothers in colorado at uh, at common ground creating the solich golf academy for kids you got what john ashworth is doing at goat hill park with the creation of a of a three-hole uh course specifically for kids called the playground as kind of a feeder system into what's happening at goat hill park you got um, him investing in, the, in junior golf academies. You got places like Cantini in, in Chicago that have always had a great uh, junior golf program and a junior caddy uh, program there. Um, and I think you've got courses like Stream Song and Bandon and Cabot and 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 you know the list goes on and on. Kind of um, and the Loop at uh, at Forest Dunes, kind of saying, hey, you know, take caddies and you know carts are not welcome, but walking is. And if you want to enhance that walking experience, take a caddy. And that's the kind of stuff that I think is, was needed in sort of golf in America to kind of, um, augment and, and sort of bolster, you know, what makes sense as a culture, the development and to reinvestment in municipal golf. So like at winter park nine, kids can get access and have a great experience. I think football, I'm, my son's not playing tackle football. So, you know, and I really hope he plays golf. Um, but that's, you know, I, I, if you watch the movie concussion and you're a parent and you've got a kid playing tackle football, how do you, how do you justify that? I'm not you, sure you can. He's definitely onto something there. And, you know, not, neither one of my sons, they, they played when they were very young, but they kind of glommed on to basketball, you know, as, as yeah. they got older. So, but yeah, you know, that's the great thing about these other short courses we talked about earlier. I think it's a, an, such a better way to introduce kids and beginners into the game without the anxiety not to mention, not to mention, Nathan, what about Top Golf and all the various other experiences sure. we're having? You know, uh, uh, Bobby Jones in Atlanta just, you know, Bob Cup and what he did there with a little bit of a reversible routing and kind of making it right. fun and accessible for, for youth. And I, I mean, we're, we're, it's no longer like think outside the box. We're outside the box. There is no more box, really. I think that the walls of whatever we, we would call sort of traditional boxed golf in America, those, those have all come down because, that's what needed to happen. The, the, the laws of supply and demand and, and all that, you know, economics that goes along with it. There was an open door and an opportunity to say, OK, um, you know, all that hard golf that was built through the through the 90s um, chasing, you know, tour stops and major championships. Um, you know, that was a bunch of double diamond runs. And now we're going back and building a lot more bunny slopes or celebrating the bunny slopes that have been around for a long time or reinvesting in those. And. You know, some are going to make it, some aren't. And uh, and I think, you know, I always say this, but I think it's really up to the, to the communities to try to realize what they have in sort of green space and an option, an opportunity for people to get out and uh, spend quality time together in what we call this game of golf. No, I think you're right. And it, it seems more accepting of the shorter courses. People don't just look at it and go, ah, that's a little nine-hole par three. I'm not going to waste my time. And, and in fact, our firm, we're looking at two projects in 2019 that used to be 18-hole regulation courses and are shut down and coming in and turning them into short courses. So uh, it, it's definitely a movement. And we've put this off long enough. I want to get to these Twitter questions and get those knocked out. But first, let me tell you about our sponsor, HavePaintGunWillTravel.com. Christmas is upon us and may even be here by the time you listen to this episode. That doesn't mean you can't buy a special gift for the golfer you know, even if that golfer is you. For those of you up north, snowbird season is upon us, and who wouldn't want one of these cool custom-engraved metal magnetic ball markers? These things are nice. They're very heavy. You'll be the envy of everyone in your group, or maybe just buy one for everyone in your foursome and you'll be the hero. They also have great ball caps with that unique paint gun silhouette logo on the front. If you haven't seen it, check it out. It's great. Quantities are limited, so don't delay. Get yours today, and they're only available online and only at halfpaintgunwilltravel.com. 
Okay, now on to the questions. There are there were a ton of questions that were just repeated, so you know we weeded out. But and obviously, what's it like to have the best job in the world? I think you've already addressed all of that. But here's one from Gotta Ask Gotta Ask K. Is there another job you would trade for your current job? Oh man, that's that's a good question. Um, I always wanted to be the play-by-play announcer for the San Diego Padres when I was a kid. You know, I I, I started really in radio. I was at you know worked, uh, interned at radio stations when I was in high school, I was sure I was going to, I fell in love with sort of the romance of what is play by play radio, bringing, bringing the action to life for people who aren't watching. Um, and I used to leave tapes for my dad to listen to on, on his bus rides from Santa Rosa to San Francisco. Um, and I would create, you know, games between the Giants and Padres, he being a Giants fan, me being a Padres fan. So if there was one job that I've sort of always wished I would have uh, would be the play by play announcer for, for the Padres. I'm a huge Tony Gwynn fan and I've, you know, I've I've stuck with them through a lot of ups and downs, mostly downs. And um, they, they, it's a franchise that challenges you. But if they offered me that job right now today, I, I probably would. I probably would say, give me a couple more years and I'll, I'll get back to you. All right. Fair <laughs> enough. Um, from at Ryan Givens, please ask him what he does with all the extra Lynx old gear. I'd gladly take it off his hands. Well, I, uh, I give it away at the uh, WP9 Skins game a lot on Friday. So you're always welcome to come by on Friday afternoons. We're using it as close to the pin awards. Sometimes if, if I've got uh, an influx of it, I, everybody who buys in for the, for the Skins game gets a pick out of the Link Soul box. Um, some of it goes to my nephews. Um, some of it goes to, to my other friends or colleagues or coworkers at Morning Drive. I try to, try to spread the Link Soul love as best I can. Let's see, from at Swatworthy, not sure if this is really in your wheelhouse. What should you do if you hit a passing car with your tee shot? <laughs> That's Run. Steve Davey. He's, he's the current <laughs> club champion at the, at the Winter Park Golf Course. And, uh, and at one of the recent skins game, like I said, you're, you know, the corridors that sort of define the golf course are, are very crowded roads. And uh, the cars are right up on you, which is sort of one of the funny stories of Keith and Riley redoing what WP nine and what they called the fishbowl, because all the changes and, and, and tweaks they were making to the golf course were heavily scrutinized by the people driving right by the golf course, uh, which was, which was interesting. But, um, yeah, unfortunately, if you skull one on one of those tight lies they've created on sort of one of the half wedges into one of the greens, like I did on the fifth, not long ago and put one into sort of one of the, you know, the tire, the tires of, of an, of, of a passing car a woman, you know, very kindly got out of the car, took a look at the car, realized there was no damage and gave me a wave and drove on. So I was, you know, I was wondering, I thought, Oh, am I covered on this? How does my insurance cover this? It only made me feel better to know that the mayor of the W of, of, of winter park who I was playing with that day had hit a car off the tee on the same hole. So we, we double card that one off the tee and, and around the green. So it happens. It happens on a regular basis. Okay. This is probably more your, uh, this is in your wheelhouse from EP Frisco, best small medium city for family fun and good golf for dad. And then it says Gulf Shores, Alabama. I'm not sure if he's from Gulf Shores or if he's asking you about Gulf Shores. Gulf Shores is great. I, I did a, a, a story about uh, an ambush a group of guys that have been going to Gulf Shores for a, for a long time. It, it looked phenomenal. Um, uh, there's, you know, I just got back from Turning Stone, um, upstate New York, um, about not far from Syracuse. And, uh, and you know, they've got multiple courses up there, a ton of amenities, a really cool casino, a lot of great food and uh, awesome music venue. Turning Stone uh, is a is a is a golf advisor round trip, and we're going to have one of those getaways on the back end of of the airing of that show, um, and and invite people up there to to experience Turning Stone. I truly believe this is one of the kind of the flying below the radar buddies trip destinations in America. Uh, super affordable, beautiful, clean, great accommodations, just a great vibe and energy. Uh, and, and, and golf courses are in perfect shape and you got a mix of architects up there. So, uh, I think I'm all in, I'm all in on turning stone, especially summers in upstate New York. It's spectacular. And you can 
break away and try to catch a, a, a leather stocking golf course at Cooperstown. If you want to see the baseball hall of fame and sort of include that all on the same trip, that'd make for a, he- a heck of a, heck of a, of a, of a getaway. Sure. Well, and you also answered the uh, next tweet from Brian tweet 16. He wanted to know what resort or golf destination flies under the radar. So I think you addressed that with turning stone. So uh, let's do one more and uh, we'll wrap things up here. From at Jits Chris. Oh, this is probably the best question. What's your favorite Pearl Jam song? <laughs> uh, oh, my gosh. I got a lot of them. And got to see Pearl Jam at Wrigley Field in Chicago not long ago, which was an amazing experience. Learning to Fly, I think, is probably my my favorite Pearl Jam song. Uh, sorry, Given to Fly. Um, Given to Fly, if you, if you read the words and the story that's told, that reminds me a lot of my brother-in-law. Um, uh, who uh, we lost uh, probably eight years ago, blood clot and a long tragedy left his you know three three sons behind. And I've always you know it's, uh, I'm, I'm really close to my sister, so that given to fly always m- reminds me of my brother-in-law and has always sort of separated itself as my favorite Pearl Jam song. Well, that's a good place to leave it, uh, Matt. I know you probably have a ton of things to get to, especially with Christmas right around the corner. So remember to follow Matt on Twitter at Matt Janella GC and on Instagram at Matt underscore Janella. Check him out on Golf Advisors Round Trip on the Golf Channel. You can follow me on Twitter at Lipouts. Follow the podcast on Twitter and like it on Facebook, both at Lipouts Podcast. And as always, all of this information and the links to the topics we've discussed will be on the website at LipoutsPodcast.com. Once again, Matt, thanks for taking the time. I had a blast. Nathan, I did. T- I did. As well, I really appreciate you asking to be on, and uh, really enjoyed the conversation. And hopefully, uh, we get to tee it up at the WP9 someday very soon. Absolutely. So, for Matt Janella and everyone here at Watermark Golf Media, I'm your host Nathan Crace, wishing you and yours a very merry Christmas and a happy and prosperous New Year. We'll see you back here next time when we tee it up on the Lipouts Podcast. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Watermark Golf Media. All rights reserved.